This is Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where every week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we discuss what's going on in our business. Plus, we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week, we'll be talking to Why Not CEO, Connor Young. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce Adult Site Broker Cash, the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. With Adult Site Broker Cash, you'll have the chance to earn as much as 20% of our broker commission, referring sellers and buyers to us at Adult Site Broker. Check our website at adultsitebroker.com for more details. First of all today, let's cover some of the news going on in our industry. French police have questioned four people connected with the local adult entertainment industry during an investigation of rape, pimping, and human trafficking. According to reports, two of them, including Pascal O.P., talent and producer for a French bukkake site, were arrested after the interrogation. News is slowly coming out of France via Twitter and the mainstream press, but it appears the investigation has been going on since February, and this latest development began unraveling last Tuesday. Pascal O.P., notorious among French gamers and forum dwellers for his extreme gonzo scenes, featuring his trademark bald head, sunglasses, and deadpan expression, and producer Matt Haddix have both been named by news publication 20 Minutes as having been questioned. Police claim the group has been under surveillance since February and alleges they have evidence that some of the models did not properly consent to having sex with multiple partners. Haddix, described by the press as a producer and content broker between amateur producers and some of the largest European platforms, has been released but temporarily banned from any work in adult entertainment. Another news publication, Le Daphine, reported that five potential victims have been identified. A New York judge authorized Strike 3 Holdings last week to serve an Internet service provider with a subpoena in order to identify the individual associated with a specific assigned IP address that Strike 3 claims has been downloading, copying, and distributing their copyrighted content using BitTorrent technology. In an October 9th decision, Southern District of New York Magistrate Judge Barbara Moses granted Strike3's application to serve a subpoena on Verizon, which would permit it to identify a John Doe subscriber by their name and address with a specific IP address. Judge Moses granted Strike3's application subject to certain conditions to protect the subscriber associated with the relevant IP address from harassment or unnecessary embarrassment. Strike Three Holdings is the company that produces and markets adult content under the umbrella Vixen Media Group, including popular studios Tushy, Blacked, Vixen, and Deeper. FCC Chairman Ajit Pai has announced that the agency will issue rules deciding when website operators' moderation practices over third-party content leaves them exposed to potential legal liability following President Trump's directives in his May 28th executive order. 
Trump's executive order on preventing online censorship called for the FCC to propose regulations for Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act and asked the FCC to examine whether actions related to the editing of content by social media companies should potentially lead to the firm's forfeiting their protections under Section 230. Pi emailed a statement to inform that the FCC will begin doing rulemaking to clarify the meaning of a law that gives broad legal immunity to social media companies for their handling of users' posts, Bloomberg News reports. Many advance an overly broad interpretation that in some cases shields social media companies from consumer protection laws, Pi wrote, in a statement that echoes the criticisms of Section 230 by Justice Clarence Thomas that were attached to a Supreme Court decision recently not to hear a case. Social media companies have a First Amendment right to free speech, Pi said, but they do not have a First Amendment right to a special immunity denied to other media outlets, such as newspapers and broadcasters. Trump has been tweeting regularly, in all caps, repeal Section 230, after a tweet complained about Facebook and Twitter news content moderation. Stormy Daniels will headline Larry Flint's Hustler Club in Nashville, uh, tonight and tomorrow, the latter booking is also the night and location of the next presidential debate. In what was an absolute coincidence that in no way intentionally coincides with the upcoming debate, uh-huh, we booked Stormy for the mid-October because she is simply put the most popular adult entertainment star on the planet, said Ryan Carlson, the club's director of operations. She draws surefire crowds everywhere we book her, and we're confident this upcoming performance will be the same. We sold out of pre-sale tickets within 72 hours, he added. We did extend a formal complimentary invitation to President Trump. Mike Durham, the chain's regional manager, said, but we haven't heard back yet. Despite the fact that many high-profile government officials regularly patronize our higher-end clubs, it seems like Mr. Clump, Mr. Trump wants to avoid Ms. Daniels. Perhaps there are some lingering feelings there that haven't yet been resolved. Do you think? Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer for sale Porn.co, an amazing adult domain name. This domain can be used for just about any purpose, including a pay site or a tube site. Porn.com sold for $9.5 million, and the .co extension is rapidly gaining in value. So besides being able to make money on this domain now, you can also count on it appreciating in value. This amazing domain has been reduced in price to only $199,000. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Connor Young, CEO and co-owner of Why Not Group. Connor, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Pleased to be here. Something we've been uh, wanting to do for a while now, so I'm glad I got a chance to uh, connect with you here. You're a hard man to pin down. Um, so Connor is the founder of the Why Not Cam Awards and the co-creator of Why Not Community. Uh, you don't want to try to say that three times. An annual conference for adult industry models. He's also the chief architect of Why Not Mail. 
Connor's latest project is Why Not Summit, a virtual trade show for models, webmasters, and business executives. Connor started in the adult industry in 1997 as a developer, building websites designed to send traffic to various industry affiliate programs. In his 23-plus years of experience in adult, he's spoken at countless conferences, served on the board of the Free Speech Coalition, and was an expert witness for the ACLU in its successful challenge to COPA. Based out of Austin, Texas, Connor is an enthusiastic fan of martial arts and baseball, sadly, of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, he's also an avid gamer and a lover of both mainstream cinema and live music. He earned his BA in English Lit from CSU Sacramento and his master's in English Lit from University of Houston. Okay, Connor, so let's start with the obvious question. You grew up on the Monterey Peninsula in Northern California. What dark forces and uh, <laughs> trauma caused you to become a fan of the Dodgers and not the beloved local nine, the three-time World Series champions of the last decade, the San Francisco Giants? That's an excellent question. Excellent question. So uh, there that's was actually I asked it actually. Yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. There were actually uh, two things that that sort of came together at the right time to uh, to cause that to happen. Setting aside that I'm just kind of rebellious by nature anyway, right? So if if everybody's I've never, telling I've never, me, I've never heard that about you, Connor. Yeah, I'm like, I took French in high school, right? Because everyone told me I had to take Spanish. So it's just <laughs> kind of in my nature. But uh, I was on a, um, a t-ball team when I was a kid. And I was the cleanup hitter for the t-ball team. And we got assigned the Dodgers. You know, I was too young to really know any of this stuff um, at the time. And that just is the luck of the draw. You and, realize uh, you didn't realize you'd gotten cursed or somebody didn't like your team. Nope, had no idea. Um, I liked the color blue, so it worked out. And uh, I grew up around all these Giants fans, you know, my, my grandfather and my, my, my relatives, my cousins. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took nonstop shit for where, you know, I had my little team, Dodgers, you know, shirts and whatnot they gave us. I took nonstop shit from Giants fans. And it, all it did was make me kind of hate them. It was like, hey, fuck you. You know, that's my team. <laughs> then... Uh, then, uh, shortly after that, the 1981 World Series happened. So I've been taking shit from these people. My uncle, who was a big um, A's fan, actually, um, but obviously would have defaulted to the Giants over the, uh, over the, uh, over the Dodgers. And uh, the Yankees were playing the Dodgers. So he was just, just giving me endless fucking grief about this. And the Yankees were going to kill him. And I was only like, I don't know, like nine at the time. <laughs> so I uh, I bet him like I bet him like five bucks, you know, that the Dodgers were going to win. And, you know, you know that story. They went down two games to nothing and then came back and won the World Series. At that point, I was just hooked. It just was 100 percent a part of my identity. I was I was a Dodgers fan in in, uh, in Monterey and it was it was really fun. Um, so much fun that I was the only Dodger fan in my high school. Uh, it was a small yeah. private high school, about 500 people. And um, I had to, you know, I was staring down, you know, that 1988 Oakland A's series, right? Yes. Uh, and I was staring down that game one loss that that the Dodgers turned around with the Gibson home run, knowing mm -hmm. I was going to have to go to high school the next day mm -hmm. when everybody at that high school would have been gunning for me. And I was just sitting there just freaking dreading it. And uh, Gibson hit that home run. And man, was I happy to go to school the next day. Big grin on my face looking for everybody. Hey, where is everybody? Hey. <laughs> great game last night you know i can was, only imagine yeah it was just part of my my identity so i i grew up going up to uh i actually know a lot about the giants right mm -hmm. because i went up to so many games in True. san francisco decked out in dodger gear taking shit people throwing beer cans at me um yep. 
you know, uh, what was their favorite? Uh, real clever, Duck the Fodgers. That was their favorite. Yep. Like, Duck the Fodgers thrown at me all the time. Um, but that just that just entrenched me all the more. It just made me love my team all the more. So it was uh, it was actually kind of fun growing up in that environment, being a Dodgers fan. Yeah, you mentioned that '81 series. I actually had a press pass for that series, and I was uh, um, I was working for MLB Productions pretty much as a gopher. But uh, I actually spent part of that series in the uh, in the uh, camera dugout, so on the field. So that was uh, that was kind of fun. That's um, amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it it really was. When did you get started in adult, and what was the industry like back then? Oh, yeah. So um, actually, the interesting thing, what sort of started me in adult was when I was in college, I was running a bulletin board system before the Internet. Right. So um, I did it mainly. It was developed, you know, learning to, to write software. And it was kind of fun to have to set up this board. It was sort of a project and sort of a hobby. But it was really expensive to set these things up. You had to have multiple phone lines for each person connected to the bulletin board system. Um, CD-ROM was like a new technology, you know, so like those drives were expensive. So all this stuff was an expensive hobby. And I set up a little adult section on the uh, bulletin board system for people to download um, images and stuff and pay because I was trying to cover up some of the costs. And it was the only thing that ever made me any money. So when I... When the internet showed up, it sort of killed boards. Nobody was connecting to bulletin boards anymore when the internet was around. So it was, uh, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So I, I decided to learn HTML. And I had these CD-ROMs full of adult content from the, uh, from the bulletin board days that I had licensed. And uh, thought, all right, I'll just make some galleries with this stuff. Um, so I set it up. Um, I set up some galleries, and I didn't know it was legal, right? It's like, can I put this stuff online? Am I going to get in trouble? So there was, uh, you know, Hank Freeman, right, uh, who mm -hmm. um, over at Hayes, and he, oh, he yeah. had a program back in the day called um, Adult Sites, S-I-G-H-T-S, Adult mm -hmm. Sites, and it was a age verification system, they called it, but really it was a way to make money. So mm -hmm. the idea was you sign up with a credit card for, you know, so much for a year, it was like 20 bucks for a year, and you get access to these thousands of sites. So I made some galleries with the content I had um, I had uh, licensed mm -hmm. and figured oh, I'll give it give it a look and see what this is like and um, um, I better put it behind this age verification because I don't know if that's legal or not. I wasn't really expecting to make money. I figured I might make mm -hmm. some beer money. So I put that up. I went away on a trip and I think I submitted it to Yahoo or something at the time and um, went mm -hmm. away on a vacation and came back uh, two weeks later and I had made like a couple a couple grand yeah. <laughs> off, of a, off of a simple uh, gallery. So. Needless to say, the industry sort of pulled me in at that point, and it kind of um, reminds me. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the movie Middlemen. Yeah, that's an interesting movie. Yeah, um, and oh, yeah. obviously we know those guys well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, now, what do you think is the biggest difference with the industry today versus five or ten years ago? Yeah, so so back then it was really it was all around people you know who were doing what I was doing. So like little web developers, we called them webmasters or, or, or affiliates even, um, mm -hmm. and everything was built around them. Um, there were large programs, people who had money that set up large um, uh, internet programs, and they would go out and compete for these affiliates or webmasters, try to bring them under their programs and get them sending sure. traffic to their sites. So if you went to shows, you went anywhere, these were the people who were getting wined and dined, and that's what it was all about um, at the end of the day. Today, though, it's a very different world, right? So the the if you're just an affiliate starting out and you're trying to do that game, you can do it if you're good. You can make money if you're good, but it's, it's not a slam dunk. It's not like you just build some sites, 
put no. the bucket out and wait to catch the money, right? It's, it doesn't work that way anymore. Um, sure. So a lot of the people who are making a lot of money are actually the uh, performers, right? Models, eclipse um, right. uh, artists, um, and they're in this unique position of being both the content producer because they're usually shooting their own content, and then they're mm -hmm. also the source of the traffic because they're on social media and they're um, engaging with fans. Right. And these performers now have this wide ecosystem of options on how they want to monetize where yeah. performers in the past might've had to go to like a vivid or somebody like that and, and sort of try to get in the door. And that this is, doesn't mean vivid specifically, but that does leave them in a sort of powerless position where they're, where they're, you know, um, ripe to be taken advantage of, so to speak, when there's only mm -hmm. so many ways into the industry and you have to make these companies happy. Now that's not the case. So like a performer could, it could choose to, to perform on any number of cam sites, on any number of clips platforms or fan platforms. It gives performers all kinds of power um, and it lets them be in creative control of what they want to do. So mm -hmm. if they don't want to do an anal scene, for example, and in the past it was like, well, look, you don't want to do anal. We're going to, we're going to blacklist you. You're not somebody we want to work with and mm -hmm. you might not be able to find work and, now it's just not that way, right? Um, sure. If you think of Playboy back in the day, they had a very certain look they were going for with the models. Um, yep. And you may like that look, you may not. But now it's it's very different in that performers of all different um, backgrounds, a, a wide range of, of appearances, right, are all finding success online. So it's turning out that that world where we thought there was only this certain look that everybody kind of had to have to be successful in adult that's been proven to be a lie now. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it's really more about, um, if the performer is able to engage with fans and, and really kind of, um, get fans excited about what they're doing and one or two or three specific looks, that's just not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. And they're making lots of money too. They are. Yeah, they are. Why didn't you do the why not cam awards online this year? Yeah, we, we thought about it. Uh, so this was something we thought about doing. Um, but when we did the one at cam awards, when we launched this show, um, we felt that there really wasn't anybody who was giving cam performers the attention, um, that they deserve cam and clips. Right. So we had shows like the AVN awards, which is great for the video industry. And, and they were, they were giving those, those individuals who work in that field, like a big night, like their Oscar like night where they go in Las Vegas and walk the red carpet and there's glitz and mm -hmm. glamor and excitement and paparazzi shooting pictures. Mm -hmm. But the cam performers and the clips performers were sort of kicked to the back of the bus. Right. And they would get maybe a couple of categories here and there, um, at the end of the show. Um, often they weren't let on stage. Um, actually, typically that was the case. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they sometimes couldn't even really get into the award show or if they did, they got seats that was up in the back because that show was not for them. It's not, it's okay because that show is, is, is it re, it's built around the video performers and it should be because that's right. always been the focus of that show. Um, but we felt that there was a need for the cam and clips performers to have their night because we felt they were, um, as important or more to the industry, right, than video uh, performers, really, at the end of the day, because there's now, so much. Yeah. yeah, there's so we saw that we saw that going in that way, um, and we were we wanted to we wanted to be the company that did that. So we chose yeah. not to do it this year because we couldn't like online. It just felt like 
like we we really wanted that big night for the industry and we sure. we go to great lengths to take care of the performers mm-hmm. everybody who's nominated for a why not cam award every last one is invited to attend the show um in person and they mm-hmm. get like vip seats they get treated to dinner they get open bar all night we allow them to bring a um you know a, a partner a friend somebody mm-hmm. with them so that they're not stuck there alone Nobody else does this, right? And it's mm-hmm. important for us that that's what that show is. Um, so we looked at 2020 and thought, well, we can do this online. It's not going to feel the same. Um, it's not going to be the same thing. Uh, if there's a chance to just punt until 2021 and and do it right so that the show is what it was intended to be, that's mm-hmm. the way to do this. Um, if it if it turns out that for some reason 2021 is is not workable, which we don't think is going to be the case, it looks like you know mm. things will be going in the right direction. Um, then we'll reconsider the online approach with with Cam Awards. But we we if it was a matter of punting for one year and maintaining the level of show that we you know we know we're capable of doing live that big day in Hollywood where performers mm. could walk the red carpet, get their pictures taken, really really feel appreciated for what it is that they do to this industry because we don't have an industry without performers, right? We mm-hmm. just don't have an mm-hmm. industry. And if, if we were able to kind of hold off a year and show that appreciation uh, the way we want to do it, we thought that was the right way to do it. Well, you kind of answered the next question too, what makes it different. But uh, uh, I, uh, I I certainly am looking forward to getting down to that show and viewing it for myself one of these days. Uh, just got to get the timing right <laughs> and also also be able to go to the United States safely. Um, and, and there is still, I can actually, with respect to what makes it different, uh, mm-hmm. there's a few things I do want to say there. Actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So we 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 actually put a lot of time and thought into the Cam Awards when we launched this. Um, there were things that we did with respect to the categories, for example, that nobody else was doing at the time. And I'm I'm I don't know bittersweet to see that some of our competitors are following our lead years later. Uh, but one of the examples is um, we none of our categories traditionally adult content has been uh, marketed in niches, right? So it could be like you know big tits or, or body parts or, um, yeah. or, you know, a lot of old porn is kind of seg- segregated into these little, um, um, ethnicity niches, right? Like, you know, yep. Asian content or, or ebony porn, yep. right? Yep. We did away with all of that, right? Mm-hmm. All of it. Um, we don't, we don't categorize or word categories by body parts. We did away with, <laughs> it didn't make sense to us to have like the best Asian cam performer, because um, who cares, right? You should be competing with that. You're just you're up for best cam performer. You're up for funniest model. It doesn't right. really matter. In many of the categories, not all, but in many of the categories, we did away with um, even gender um, differentiation. So if we're going to have an award for funniest model, for example, um, everybody can compete in that model. It doesn't matter if you're uh, in that category. Rather, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're straight, cis, um, um, trans. Um, you know, sure. it doesn't matter. Everybody competes in those categories. The mm-hmm. only place we didn't do that was in some of the top categories, like the, um, you know, the, we have uh, like the, the cam performer of the year. We have those segregated only because the, um, the, the women tend to be, they have larger fan bases than the guys. <laughs> and the guys would never have a shot, you know, they'd never have a shot at those top categories. Like, um, mm-hmm. and so we didn't think it was fair um, to, to people who weren't who were up against some of uh, the, uh, the the women uh, performers in our industry, we didn't think it would be fair to everybody else. So we did segregate a few of those categories uh, at the top. Um, but the interesting thing is, mm-hmm. after we did that, we've seen 
there was like a little mini backlash by some of the performers at AVN because they had like the best um, interracial scene or categories like that. And performers were starting to say, hey, why is this just not for best scene? Why are you categorizing categorizing us this way? Um, we saw that um, uh, one of our competitors, XBiz, has, was touting uh, very loudly this last week about how they're, they're not going to have any gender differentiation in, in certain categories. And I just kind of had to smile and go, wow, if only somebody had thought of that three years ago. Um, <laughs> these are some of the things we, we, we've sort of, I think, taken a leadership position on because we actually really do care about this industry. And we want our award show to, to reflect the true – it's not about – look, we want the sponsors to get a lot out of being involved in, the, in our shows, and they absolutely do. Uh, we aggressively um, – uh, promote the show and all the sponsors come along for the ride for for months before the event the event itself and after the event um, but at the end of the day we think we can we think we can promote our sponsors best by really focusing in on the performers and making it that night for them and the sponsors who are supportive of that vision come along for the ride and it generates a lot of a lot of goodwill so we think that's gone over really well all of our sponsors have uh, been tremendously happy to be a part of that night it's mm -hmm. something that they can be a proud of, proud of that they're supporting, and they get it. And it wasn't easy. Like at first, it wasn't a given that all sponsors would understand what we're going for. We got pushback like, like, hey, how come you don't have a category for the best cam network, or why aren't you awarding the companies? Mm -hmm. And we had to explain to our sponsors this show is about awarding and recognizing the performers, right? And and you're going to come along for the ride in that. But it's not really about your company tonight. It's about the performers. And um, mm -hmm. and the sponsors that we got on board did understand that. They were supportive of it. They got mm -hmm. behind it. And and now we're seeing a lot of other companies kind of following the lead there. Well, okay. They say the best form of flattery. Um, for those who haven't been, what's the event like? Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. So we had – the last one we had um, – this comedian Brad Williams, who's um, absolutely hilarious. Um, we um, we got him to perform. So essentially, we have a red carpet that opens the night. Um, everybody kind of shows up and can walk the red carpet if they like. There's a lot of photographers mm -hmm. out taking pictures and um, and videos. We had a live stream, so the red carpet was being live streamed out to the uh, to the internet for everybody to watch who couldn't make it. Mm -hmm. um, once they're inside, everybody's treated to a dinner buffet. There's open bar. Um, so there's food and drinks. Then we had pre-show entertainment. This was at a very, this is at an iconic venue in Hollywood, by the way. So you have to mm. kind of put yourself right on Hollywood and Vine, um, downtown Hollywood at, this is a venue where the Beatles, uh, did their first West coast conference. There was a mm. ABC variety show called the Hollywood palace that was, um, that was filmed in this particular location. Um, mm -hmm. it's now called Avalon. It used to be called Hollywood palace. Um, mm -hmm. you can actually see the location. And if you watch the movie rocket man, when, um, Elton John mm -hmm. kind of arrives in, in, um, in Hollywood, they, they recreate, they digitally altered the sign to say Hollywood palace, but that's actually the location where this event takes place. Mm -hmm. Um, so everyone has drinks, everyone starts getting liquored up and having a good time. Um, <laughs> we bring out a couple comedians. We had, um, uh, Brad Williams, um, who was, who was just, he just, man, he, he killed it. He was so funny. Um, and then the award show itself and the award show is fully live streamed. So it's, it kind of goes out for everybody to watch, um, while the, while the show's going on. And I think we were the first, I don't know if anybody else did that or not. I don't want to say for sure we were the first, but I, mm -hmm. I don't think anybody else was live streaming. Um, pretty sure. Surprising, actually. 
Well, Avian Awards has a deal with Showtime, right? So they, mm. I don't know that they could live stream because they have to, um, they're going to put it on Showtime. Um, I, I know at the time x was not live streaming, although um, they played around with it after we did it. So again, uh, happy to be leaders. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but no, I don't think anybody else was doing it uh, at the time. So that was kind mm-hmm. of a, uh, and this is like a real live stream crew. It's like high quality production. You can actually see some of the videos on YouTube if you search for why not cam awards. Yeah, I saw some of it. It was really cool. Now you added why not community to the event lineup in 2019. What's that about? And when will that happen again? Yeah. So we had a lot of people coming into Hollywood for cam awards and it was a one day event. And a lot of out of towners were telling us, you know, it would be nice is if we had, um, you know, um, a longer event, you know, as we're coming into town, cause just coming in for one night and then leaving. Yeah. It's, it's hard. That, that certainly occurred to me as well. Yeah. So, so we decided, you know, again, same thing. We were trying to take a leadership position. There were lots mm-hmm. of shows that were adult industry B2B that mm-hmm. encouraged models to attend, but the show was not for them primarily. It was just a general adult B2B show. So, you know, sure. whether that's, you know, the Miami shows or Phoenix or any of these shows that you and I know so well, there are always models in attendance, but the content's not really made for them. So sure. our thought was, again, we're talking about a group here that's responsible for driving the the engine that is the adult industry, and they mm-hmm. really deserve their own their own show. So, community was um, kind of we reversed the concept and thought, you know what, if we built the seminars and the sessions and the parties and the networking, the activities for models uh, specifically. And if, if other people want to attend, you know, um, like if somebody's from a billing company or, or, or um, uh, an affiliate or whatever, and they want to attend and, and mm-hmm. network, they're welcome to do so. Um, but the primary direction of the content for community was for, um, for um, uh, models, right? And uh, that's, that's how we wanted to grow it out. And we had a really good first year. And then unfortunately, we got derailed by, by COVID for uh, yeah. 2020. You're not alone. Everything's but, been everything's been derailed. Yeah, but hopefully we'll get it back on track in 2021. Fingers crossed. I got a question. It's something that just occurred to me now. Obviously, cams are really big, but so are clips. And I'm yep. sure pretty much all of these models also do clips. Are you planning on either a name change or a focus switch? Uh, because the clips have just gotten so big with these two events. Yeah, I, I don't think so because I think it's generally understood when you say when you're doing an event like this and you say cam that um, that you're that that you're you're talking about the whole community, uh, the whole performer thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're doing clips, you're in front of a cam as well, right? It's just not a live um, a live cam network. So sure. yeah, it, it's it's there is some room for like, I guess, confusion there. Um, but the content we've created for both one at cam awards and for community was heavy in, um, content for clips producers as well. And you're right. You're right to ask that because clips Mm -hmm. is, I think, um, you know, right up there with, uh, with, with live cams in terms of the importance, there's Mm -hmm. some performers who just prefer to do one or the other, and maybe they Mm -hmm. only want to do clips and don't want to do live cam. It just really, depends on what they're comfortable with. So yeah, it's, sure. it's definitely, um, a vital importance and it's included in everything that we do. Okay. Now for 2020, you did the virtual why not summit, which was a great show. How did that go? 
extremely well, actually. We didn't know what to make of that, um, how it was going to go over. And um, what we found is the enthusiasm was fantastic. So we had mm-hmm. for that one, we, we built it with two tracks. So we, we had the model track, which was sort of like our virtual community in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Same kind of content we would we would build out for community, and then we have the webmaster track, right? Which was more traditional. Why not Summit? Back when we used to do that show in uh, love San those shows. places I like love that. those shows, especially since it was a home game for me because I lived in the Bay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They were <laughs> just uh, take just take Bart. <laughs> they, they were fun, but uh, you know times change, I guess. And and yeah. we we wanted to kind of build out two tracks, and both tracks did well. The model track did. Um, better right um you know and so that's not entirely surprising there's just a lot of models and performers working in the industry right now and they were incredibly enthusiastic they had a really good time we had um comments just right and left about how much they enjoyed it um you know wanting us to do another event um which were you know i guess looking into plans as to when that date might be for another event um so that's going to happen so no, overall it was it was incredibly successful. There were a few areas that we're looking to tweak to figure out how we can improve. So seminars, sessions, learning opportunities, all that went great. Um, the boost, um, the feedback we got from the virtual boost was that it was all right, but we're looking for ways to kind of make it better. Um, mm-hmm. It's it can be confusing, I think, sometimes in a virtual event like like what's going on at boosts and, and how to circulate, get around the boost. So we're looking into improving that area of the show. Um, but all in all, no, I'd say it was a really positive experience. And even in a, let's say, let's assume a theoretical post COVID world, mm-hmm. the plan is to continue to do virtual events in addition to live events, because a Smart. lot of the performers were telling us, Hey, I'm glad you did this because I can't necessarily you know, maybe they're new uh, performers. They're not like making enough to feel like they can spend it on a trip, um, but they want to be a part of mm-hmm. things they want to learn. And this provides them with an easy way for them to participate, be connected to the community without necessarily having to incur all the expenses of travel that mm-hmm. quite frankly, not everybody is, is able to do. Any plans to have expanded uh, EU hours? Hint, hint. Yeah. So um, we, we, we dibbled with, dabbled with that a little bit um we had actually a few um for example we have friends in uh, russia who wanted to um do some seminars um mm-hmm. or in in russian which we did do actually and mm-hmm. they were um they were well attended especially the first one did really well and um and so that was like really early the mm-hmm. the trick was i guess trying to figure out a way to sort of get as many people together as possible um mm-hmm. so we we did start earlier than some of our competitors have for that reason uh we were Mm -hmm. trying to make sure that people in europe would um would be able to participate and we got decent uh, participation from the european crowd we also Mm -hmm. want we we also wanted them to to want to to attend a lot of the seminars that we had in the you know in the middle of the day if Mm -hmm. we if we have them only early um in the morning then the americans don't show up so it's a challenge for sure like how do you you don't want to have to do the seminar, you know, two, three times and then break up the crowd. You want everybody there to ask questions and, and true. participate. So it's, it is a challenge, but it, it, it's on our mind. We tried to sort of walk that tightrope best we 
could and we'll be looking mm-hmm. for ways to improve it for sure because we definitely want we have a lot of friends in europe um mm-hmm. who who have been tremendously supportive to us and we love their support and we want them involved and so we're looking for ways to make sure it's as easy as possible for them to do so yeah you got why not europe as well um what are the some of the biggest mistakes you see from email marketing yeah so the the, the two is um that i would say right off the bat uh content sharing, uh, or so like contact sharing, I'm sorry. Uh, and then the other is, and this is where it gets tricky is list maintenance. So contact sharing is simple. Um, a lot of people in this industry like to make deals with each other. You know, they buy a list from somebody else and they want to market to it. And I understand why they want to do it. Um, you know, it makes sense. Here's a list of thousands of email addresses. You can pull off a certain number of sales off of it. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's a lot of money. Makes sense. The problem is, is it's spam, right? It's, it's, it's what it is at the end of the day. Um, there are rules against it and the email providers like Google and, and Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing everybody needs to realize is they're a lot smarter than we are, right? <laughs> They've got mm-hmm. the brightest minds over there. And if you buy a list versus somebody who actually organically earns their list, mm-hmm. um, they're going to know. Right. Mm. They're going to know. So what they do is they start penalizing your your email traffic. So um, that means you're going to get fewer of your emails in the inboxes. Your open rates are going to go down. Um, you're going to get frustrated. We have mm-hmm. customers who have done that. They don't really own their list. And then, you know, they, they don't admit to it. But then they're saying, hey, I just sent out to all those people and you know, my open rates terrible. Uh, yeah, Google knows what you're doing, dude. You know, they know what you're doing and, <laughs> and that's why you're not getting an inbox is because they can compare the reaction of all these thousands of people to your emails as to how they react to, to emails where they really want that content. Um, sure. list, list maintenance is even trickier. This is where I have more sympathy for the industry. Um, you, the biggest mistake there is people have these large lists or old lists that they may have gotten legitimately. Um, maybe even somebody ran a pay site program, um, 10 years ago, right. And they got all these emails and they want to start emailing again. Unfortunately, everybody's forgotten that they gave you your email address. And so when you do Mm -hmm. that, um, you're emailing people who don't know where this is coming from. They're going to be reporting it as spam. You're going to be emailing a lot of bad email addresses that are no longer there, which are going to soft bounce or hard bounce. Um, at which point you're you're going to have high bounce rates, which mm-hmm. Google's going to see. And then worse, and this is frustrating, but companies will find old email addresses that haven't been used in like over a year, and they'll turn them into what we call spam, uh, recycled spam traps, right? Mm. So if you if, if 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 any emails are received there, and the spam trap provider knows, hey, this email address has not been legitimately used in say a year. Anybody emailing it would have no business emailing it, so we're sure. just going to consider it spam. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll hit a lot of spam traps that way. Um, nobody wants to remove the bad emails, and it doesn't make any sense, but we, we fight with customers all the time to understand this. If you've got a list of 100,000 people you're trying to send to, but let's mm-hmm. say only 10,000 on your list are actually engaged and, and, and everybody else is not opening, not clicking – Right, you're paying to send out 100,000 emails. You could be paying to send out 10,000 emails, right? If you just got right. rid of all those email addresses that have shown over time that they're just not, nobody's opening it, right? right. Your your expenses go down. Your open rate also goes way up as a mm-hmm. percentage. 
And when Gmail and Yahoo and everybody sees that open rates going up and people are engaged, they go, this is good content. They deliver more of your email, right? Which in turn Mm -hmm. means more conversions, more sales. Um, it, It just makes sense. But unfortunately for a lot of people, they think I've got this list. I've got a hundred thousand here. I want to email them all. What if one of them is going to turn into a sale? Um, You know, they don't want to take that step of deleting or not using um, all these email addresses. And so it's, it's unfortunately something that we have a hard time getting people to understand, but Mm. we we see the stats and we know the difference between the customers who engage in, in proper list maintenance, remove, you know, after a period of time, which could be anywhere from if you want to be, you know, um, aggressive six months, Get them mm-hmm. out of there if they're not opening or clicking. Um, a lot of people will go a year. Um, but, man, if you're going more than two years and nobody's opened your email, nobody's clicked it, um, it's time to pull that email off your off your list. Yeah, plus there's there's good services to uh, to feed your list into where you can scrub it. Yeah, for sure. That, that does cost some money typically. Uh, not that much, it. though. Not yeah. that much. I yeah, do it. it. But it, de- it definitely helps because then you're not getting as many soft bounces. Um, as you you would or hard bounces and then Mm -hmm. your bounce rates are up and, and then the providers will see that. So that's, that's the logic there. You're trying to get these bounces out of your, um, out of your, uh, list before you start sending and before it damages your reputation. Now you guys have why not mail, which is certainly the premier, uh, mailing service for the adult industry. In fact, the only one that I know of for B2B, um, and B2C is email marketing still important. Oh yeah, without a doubt. It's, it's, it's one of the few, there's only a few ways that you can reach out to people who aren't thinking about you and remind them that you exist in a very busy and distracting world. Um, so you, you develop a relationship with a customer and then that customer's, um, constantly after they leave your, 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 your sphere being bombarded with content and, and, um, from, from other companies or other things you're competing with. Mm-hmm. If you're running an adult site, for example, you're competing with social media. How much mm-hmm. time are people spending on Twitter just flipping through political posts on Facebook, right? <laughs> um, you're competing with all this stuff. Right. Anything that's going to distract them, they're probably not going to be thinking of your company again. Um, so how are you going to reach out and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, remember me? At which point a lot of them are going to say, oh, that's right. So one of the best ways to keep everybody engaged where you have some control over that is absolutely email. Um, there's, mm. there's, there's really not a lot of good other means to do it. You can do social media, of course, and you should. Everybody should have a, a smart social media um, strategy. But mm. you're relying on a social media company there and their algorithms on uh, if they decide that you're worth showing to somebody, um, <laughs> if they decide to kick you off the platform um, right. There's a whole lot there that you just have no control over. And, and email, by the way, is great for this is a growing area, but it's great for performers and models um, because a lot of performers aren't collecting email addresses. And what they're learning it's is, true. you know, right now they're doing all this work on Twitter. They're generating all this attention on Twitter, which takes a lot of hard work. They're spending a lot of hours there. And if Twitter suddenly decides to turn off their account, well, they're at stage one, right? All their, all their, Contacts go. If they have are finding ways to incentivize their fans to provide an email address through perhaps sending them some exclusive content once in a while via email, mm-hmm. um, keeping them in in the know on special news. Um, now they've got a list that's actually worth something, right? And mm-hmm. if they do lose their their social media account, they don't get. It's not like the power just got cut off entirely. 
Yes, right. you, you might have lost an arm and a limb, but you've <laughs> got some means to fight, right? While you're trying to to build yourself back up, and you've got a valuable list at your at your disposal. So that's that's also an area that we we're seeing some growth. There's more and more performers starting to to really understand that. Mm-hmm. Now, what's this new service? Why not market? Um, what's that all about? Yeah, why not market is is the new uh, new product that we put out. That's actually um, in a nutshell, it's it's marketing automation technology. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's actually a lot more than that. Uh, but I'm careful not to get too into the weeds with it because um, <laughs> it can be confusing. Um, so the simplest way to look at it is it's marketing automation with a CRM attached. Um, so marketing mm-hmm. automation is is the way to think of that is it's a tool for your um, for your marketing team. So it, you can use the software to create assets like landing pages and emails and things of that nature, right? And then you can deploy those assets and track them in use. Um, and as people come in from these assets, um, you're, 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 you're putting these people into a, a sales funnel that will now kind of run them through an automated script and keep them engaged. So it's kind of like having an, ar- a, a, an army of, of, of robots kind of working hmm. for you night and day without having to um, without having to have a sales force that you have or a marketing force or sales force to pay them to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, example of how that might work is let's say you are whatever you're doing, whether you're using emails to initiate contact or social media or ad buys, let's say you're doing social media campaigns and you're encouraging people to, uh, Hey, download a free ebook. Let's use that, that approach. Um, Somebody mm-hmm. clicks on that that social media campaign to download the free ebook, and it brings them to a landing page that they've now created with Why Not Market. That's mm-hmm. asking them to put in their information to download the book. They put it in. Okay. Now that individual is being put into a, a sales funnel, and they're being mm-hmm. put into your CRM. Um, it will now, based on a script that you've created for that person, it will now reach out to them like however often you want, right? So they downloaded the book. You could set up a script that in a couple of days they're going to get a – you know, another email saying, "Hey, how'd you like that part of the book?" Uh, the book, um, it might, it might actually track. You might set it up to track what they're clicking in the emails you send, and based on their level of interest, you know, um, you know, it'll it'll dive off to a, a side of the script and and run through additional uh, additional contacts and notifications to keep them engaged based on their interests. Um, mm-hmm. It might fire off notifications to your sales team, for example, that say, hey, if this person's engaged in these activities or showing interest here, you know, schedule a call or reach out or do a personal contact, right? Mm-hmm. It's got all these ways to sort of automate that process, keep your leads warm and generate information for your sales team. Mm-hmm. And then your sales team, of course, is where the uh, CRM comes into play. Um, and now you've got this, this bird's eye view of all your contacts, your um, communications with that customer, what they're looking at, so you, you've collected their contact information when they, they downloaded that ebook, and now you're tracking what pages they're looking at, um, what seems to catch their attention. Now your sales team gets all of that information. Mm-hmm. And, and this kind of software is incredibly expensive um, in the mainstream. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you were to get it at, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember what the last one was. So Salesforce is Salesforce, yeah. They're the leading CRM out there. And their right. CRM is not that expensive by itself if you get a low down level. Uh, of the plan, but if you want their marketing automation software, it's mm-hmm. like God, I want to say it was like fourteen grand commitment for like the lowest level, and that you have to like commit to for for upfront for the year. And why not markets? It's you know it's it's 
considerably cheaper than that. You're, you're talking about 200 bucks and you can, you can be using this, um, this, uh, technology without any, any, uh, contracts or anything that you have to commit to, um, like you would, to, like you would with Salesforce. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really sophisticated software. So it's not for everybody because it takes somebody who's, who's got a certain level of, of technical sophistication and, and marketing sophistication to set, set this up and, 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 uh, and work with the software. Um, if you're just sort of an independent performer, it might be, you, you <laughs> your eyes may glow, glaze over looking at the stuff before you, you get it into place. Um, but if you're a, a company with a, um, a marketing team and a sales team, and you're looking mm-hmm. for ways to just really supercharge your, your operations, it's, it's perfect uh, for everybody else. That's what why not mails for. It's, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's a simpler platform. So if you're, if your your time commitments for this are, are challenged and you need a very simple solution, it's, it's why not mail. Um, but if you've got the cycles and the sophistication and you're really looking to build out something that's, that's incredibly powerful and, and, um, and works on this higher level, then that's absolutely why not market. Thank you. Sold me, man. Okay. Connor, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today on adult site broker talk. And I hope we'll get a chance to do this again really soon. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. My broker tip today is part one on how to buy an adult site. The first question to ask yourself is what kind of site would you like to buy? Would you like a tube site, a cam site, a dating site, a membership site, a social media site, or something else? If you want to buy a membership site, what type of site do you want and what niche? There are literally hundreds of niches and many sub-niches. For instance, let's say you want to buy a gay site. Under gay, there is bears or mature, bareback, Asian, Latino, amateur, bi, black, euro, and fetish, along with many fetishes under that classification. Plus, there's hardcore, jocks, porn stars, solo, trans, twinks, and uniforms. Straight has even more sub-niches. How you make this decision should be based on these factors. What interests you? What you enjoy should definitely play a part in what you buy. If you like men and want to make money on a straight site, that's probably a really bad idea. Same thing if you're straight and want to buy a gay site. So what you like plays a part. What's your budget? This is something you need to establish at the very beginning. Not only do you need to know what it is that you're working with, but some classifications of sites are more expensive than others. For instance, if you want a cam site with any traffic or revenue at all, it will need to be a lot of money that you'll have to invest. In fact, to buy any established site will be somewhat expensive. If you buy a site that's pretty much just a platform without traffic or sales, you'll need a huge investment to build it up. In that case, it might actually be as good or better just to start your own site. That way you get exactly what it is you're looking for. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And... Next week, we'll be talking to Mike Pinto, the owner of the new adult social media site, Smuttyfy. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Connor Young. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman. <laughs>